Our sermon this morning is based on 1 Timothy chapter 6, some selected verses. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich will fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruins and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Warren Buffett is considered to be a man of decent fiscal acumen, right? I was looking him up this week and I saw that he is valued at just under $97 billion this week. And as I was looking into him, I saw an article come up about him that talked about a lecture that he gave about 20 years ago, decades ago, when, yes, that $97 billion fortune was probably a little bit smaller, but was still a pretty sizable fortune. He goes into the lecture hall, and, and he's talking to these students about, about their, their finances and about uh, his financial acumen. And somebody asked him, Mr. Buffett, what is the key to happiness? And you sort of wonder what he was looking for. Do you think he was hoping to get an answer like, well, if you get to X amount of dollars, then you can finally relax and you can be happy? Or maybe a, a status, if you get to a certain point where you are able to take care of your family, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, and their great-grandkids, if you can take care of like five generations, then you can relax, then you can be happy. Warren Buffett responded not with a number, not with a status. Instead, he responded, do what you love. They might have been looking for some type of status or they were looking for, for that number, but instead, Buffett said it's about a mindset. It's about an attitude as we approach our wealth. Not to think about the number itself, but instead, the thing that we're doing in order to amass that wealth. And while the words of, of Warren Buffett and the Apostle Paul aren't exactly apples and apples today, there's something, there's something similar. Today, Paul speaks to us not about dollars and cents, not about the number, but he speaks to us about an attitude. That attitude of contentment that we are called to carry in our lives. When we are putting together financial portfolios, I'm sure many, many, many of you know what I'm talking about. It is my understanding that we plan for the now and for the future. You put money aside to take care of yourself now, and you also think, okay, but what is it going to look like in 10, 20, 
40, 60 years. And that's how you put together a diverse portfolio. Brothers and sisters, I will say today, let's put ourselves together a diverse portfolio of contentment. Being content in the now, but also being ready to be content in the future. No, not just 20, 40, 60 years from now, but finding contentment in heaven. 2,300 passages. 2,300 passages in Scripture speak about money. Doesn't that seem like a lot? And I think some people walk away with some type of misunderstanding about the way that Scripture teaches about money. They walk away and they think, you know what, clearly you shouldn't have a whole lot of money because it sounds like there are a lot of problems attached to it. They start to get this misconception that Scripture, scripture is, is whapping people on the nose for having too much money. As if it's some type of bad thing to, to be rich and to be, to be well-blessed. But that's not the feeling I'm getting from, from Paul's letter to Timothy today. God's not just talking to people that are rich, and he's not saying that the big concern is if you've got too much money in the bank, you're on your way to destruction. No, he's talking about an attitude. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's an attitude. It's not a status. There are plenty of people in this world that don't have a whole lot of money in their pockets and they still have as their central focus in this life wealth. How do I get wealth? How do I save wealth? How do I create more wealth for myself? It's a, it's a constant in their hearts, and they don't even have a whole lot to begin with. No, God is clearly saying, I am not just talking to people that are well-to-do. I'm not just talking to people that are living large. I am talking to anyone, anyone that sees wealth as their God. Because that's the thing about money is that that's why the Bible talks about it so frequently. Is because it affects the people who have a lot of it. And it affects the people that have very little of it. I knew a, a financial strategist. And I remember talking to him one time. And he was one of those guys that, that works with people to set, up, um, to set up their financial plans for the future. And then as, as life comes to a close, that he kind of works with them to get their will straightened out and all of that stuff. And he said, Simeon, you would be shocked to see what happens when there is no financial directive in the will. To watch family members turn on family members, to watch things turn ugly and ruthless, just like that. And he goes, the craziest part is that it doesn't matter if it's over $5,000 or $5 million, the ruthlessness is still there. And then he said, Once more, what's more is that it almost seems as if it is worse when it's $5,000 than when it's $5 million. No, the sin of greed, the sin of selfishness, 
that love, that lust for money doesn't care how much you've got in the bank. All it cares about is how you can get more. It's universal. And it's a concern in the life of Paul, it's a concern in the life of Timothy, and it's a concern in the life of the listeners then, just as it's a concern in the life of listeners now. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many, many griefs. Eager for money. Those are the words. Paul's calling us to do a heart check to do an attitude check, to ask us if, if money is all-consuming or is money looked at as just another blessing from God? Do we see it as something that I want for myself to do what I want to do with it? Or do we bask and say, my God, how could you possibly be so gracious as to give me these blessings? I wish I could say I was always in that second camp. But there are people that allow their, their desire for money to, just like it says, pierce themselves with all sorts of pains. There are people that, that they want to gain just a little bit more wealth, and so they say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into work a little bit more, and I'm going to stay away from my family just a little bit, but it's going to be temporary, I promise it's going to be temporary, and at some point, I'm going to be at home more often, and things are going to be okay, but I just want to do this for the time being in order to get a little bit more. And sometimes those people look back 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, and they've amassed all sorts of wealth, but they barely recognize the family that they were amassing the wealth for. There are people that, that when they go out church shopping, they look around and, and they go, is this, what does this church say about me? Does it really fit in with my wealth? Is it, is it opulent enough that I look the way I want to, walking out the doors. They're the people that plan to be faithful in church, but then just for a moment they say, you know what, I just, I got to take some weeks off, a few months, and I'm just not going to come to church for a few months, and, and it's not that big of a deal because I promise at the end of these three months I'm going to be back and, and it's all going to be good. I don't come back. And all of a sudden, they look back and they say, it was supposed to be three months, and now I haven't heard the word of God. I haven't been encouraged by brothers and sisters in Christ for two years. No, brothers and sisters, I don't think it's something that you wake up for and you say, you know what, today I'm going to go after money and I'm going to sacrifice God to do it. It creeps in, doesn't it? It's slow it's sneaky, and so often it comes with what seems to be really, really good intentions. But the truth is, is that it all wraps up. The situation is done, and we look back, we look in the mirror, and we go, I don't even really recognize the person that's looking back at me. Things have changed that drastically in my life, and I no longer see God than money. I see God and money constantly having to battle it out in my life for primary position. I confess that on certain days, that's me. And I'm sure, sure if, you, if you look in your heart, you realize that 
in certain days, that can be you as well. The money just seems so important, so necessary to everything that we do, that we forget who gives that money. We forget who is taking that money and, and jamming it directly into our pockets. And so Paul calls for contentment. But not just contentment with the stuff. He says, brothers and sisters, in order to find contentment with the stuff in your life, you got to look past it. Look towards the end. Look to what's being saved up for. And then you're going to find a contentment that can resound and reach to every single part of your life. When you look forward and find your contentment in Christ, a God who would not spare his only son but gave him up for each and every one of you, when you see that that is God's behavior towards you when it comes to your spiritual eternity, that's when we say, God, how could you not take care of my physical needs? Because God has kept every single promise on what he is going to do to save us from death and punishment and hell and sin, certainly that same God will make sure that we are well provided for exactly what we need in this life. Goes on to say, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Stuff or no stuff? A full account or an empty account? God says, don't put your hope in that, because that's uncertain. That number in your security federal account on some days is going to be through the roof, and some days it is going to be in the basement, but one thing's not going to change. My love for you. I remember opening up a, a Roth IRA as adults do a couple years ago. And I felt so proud of myself. I took my $1,000 and I put it in my Roth IRA. And then what did I do? I watched it. Up 2%, 20 bucks. Down 3%, minus 30. And I remember watching it and watching it and watching it three, four, five, six times a day. I would check my Roth IRA that had $1,000 in it. And it almost became some type of compulsive behavior. God says, don't watch the things that are going up and down. Watch the things that stay the same. Because brothers and sisters, tomorrow we could wake up and maybe the social security check doesn't come. Half of the jobs are gone in Aiken, and the stock market is at the bottom, and you know what's still not going to be changed? Jesus' victory over death for you. We could wake up with absolutely nothing in our accounts, and the value of forgiveness will have not moved one bit. That's how we are content. Because we go, you know what? All of the things that God has placed in my life it's very nice. But the thing that God has defined my life by, Jesus' resurrection from the grave, that's permanent. And that's lasting. But I think there's another misconception to address here. 
If we look at the last few words of verse 17, it says, But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. For centuries in the monasteries, it was a really big deal in order to devoid yourself of all earthly pleasures. That way you could focus on God. And, and the more you could, you could beat yourself down, the more you could make yourself empty of everything else, then you could move yourself a little bit closer to Jesus. And the crazy thing is, that's, that's just the opposite of what we're talking about today, isn't it? It's still thinking that the things that we have in our hands have something to do with our relationship with Christ. But instead, God says, no, I didn't just give you clothing and food in order to keep you alive. I gave you things for your enjoyment. Martin Luther was once quoted saying to one of his friends, as Martin Luther often did, he said, we worship God also when we rest. Indeed, there is no greater worship of God than this. No, God, Martin Luther is not saying it's a good idea to be some type of lazy person. Martin Luther is saying we worship God when we have the confidence in him to just breathe. To rest from our labors, to rest from our worries, and to lie comfortably in the hands of God. This afternoon, you can catch me in the same place that you probably will most Sunday afternoons, and that is in my recliner napping. It's a Sunday, obligatory pastor Sunday afternoon nap. And in that moment, I will do my hardest to worship God. To end the week knowing that all of the abilities that he's given me to fulfill my job this week are strictly from him. Knowing that everything in my bank account is strictly from him. And knowing that all of those things he's given me to enjoy in this, in this world. That's rest. And in that rest, in that confidence, in that relaxation, in that trust, that is when we have this incredible ability to worship God. There are uh, folks that are, are focused on, on long-term treasures. I knew, I knew a guy um, who got a call to serve as a principal at a, at a church that had a school with it. And about two days before he got there, I think the, the moving truck had all been packed up and the, the church and school informed him, oh, by the way, we're not 100% sure where you're going to live yet. Two days before, very new child, two kids, a wife, not really sure where you're going to live. And I remember everything worked out okay. He, he moved in, and, and I remember talking to him a couple weeks later, and I just kind of smiled, and I said, look, how did you get through that? And he said this, and I, I don't think I'm ever going to forget it. He said, you know what? I've never worried too much about the earthly stuff when it comes to finances and housing. It seems like every single time I turn around, God is, God is able to make it work. That he and his wife would, would be good stewards of the money that God had given to them, but that ultimately they knew that things were going to be good sometimes, things were going to be tight sometimes, but ultimately God was going to take care of them. 
It's an attitude that only can come when we do look towards that future, that contentment in an eternity with God. And we say, you know what, that same God, that same God's going to take care of me here too. He's not going to hang me out to dry. He's not going to pull the rug out from underneath me. That God is going to abide with me and continue to bless me in every single way he sees fit. If God decides tomorrow that I need $5 million, God will give me $5 million. I don't think that's going to happen, but you never know. If tomorrow God decides that I need to lose money, God knows best. Our God is in control of every aspect of our life, and yes, he's even in control of those finances. And he gives them to us as a blessing to be used. That's what our gospel is about. It's about the, this, last, this last command that we hear in Timothy. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. God gives us our stuff for a reason. In order to serve him with it. When you go to buy that brand new, I think it's iPhone 16, think to yourself, how can I serve God with this? Because you can. When you go and buy that house that belongs on the front page of a magazine, think to yourself, how can I serve God with this? Because you can. And when you buy something that, is, that seems a little lavish, like that brand new boat, even in those moments, think to yourself, how can I serve God with this? And no, I'm not just talking about taking pastor out on the boat. I'm talking about how can you actually serve God with this? How can you make your blessings to work in God's kingdom? There's no prescription. There's no way of me telling you exactly how you ought to use the things you've been given. All we know is that we can use them in contentment knowing that God has given us every single thing that he feels that we need in our life. Trust in that. Trust in that diversified portfolio, in blessings given now and blessings that he's stored up for you in an eternity with him. Amen.